Welcome back to In Our Issues, a podcast where we learn what it's like to be in the shoes of people with mental health issues. My name is Nathan Donnelly, and this week we answer questions that you guys submitted for us on our website. That's right, you heard me. Our answers to these questions got so long and detailed that it became a whole episode. This one was really fun to make. The questions you guys submitted created a conversation between the three of us that I think is going to be beneficial for everyone to hear. Lots of great perspective on living with mental illness. You guys totally made Amanda's day, by the way. She came in smiling ear to ear with all the questions printed out ready to go. If you would like to submit a mental health-related question for us to answer in future episodes, check out the link in the description below to go to our website where there is a tab that says, Ask Us a Question. And now, without further ado... Here is the IOI crew. So welcome, everybody. Welcome back to In Our Issues. Today, we're really excited. Oh, my God. We're beyond that. I know. We got some really, really, really great questions from the community. So we're going to be answering them today. Yes. Looking forward to it. Oh, by the way, I'm Amanda. I'm Nathan. (laughs) I'm Bill. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the In Our Issues crew. What is the little tagline thing that you say that I like? Uh, <laughs> wait. Learn so, what it's like to be in oh, our oh, issues. Oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, it? yeah. Let's sit like, oh yeah. So let's sit down with the crew and learn a thing or two about what it's like to be in, in our, our issues. issues. I like that because I think it kind of like, yeah, it just makes sense with what we do. Yeah. The crew. The crew. So everybody has a copy of the questions in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, We had seven responses. Seven people asked us questions. I'm really excited about it. I'm looking forward to see what kind of conversations we have surrounding these. Yeah. So the first one I wanted to ask was actually the last question um, that someone asked. So we asked people if they had any questions about living with mental health or mental health issues or trauma that we as certified peer recovery supporters could answer. Um, And I wanted to start with the longest one first because I think this one's really important. Important, and we've talked about it. We've kind of talked about, you know, emotional flashbacks before in some yeah. of our episodes. I think mm-hmm. that's actually going to come out later. You guys will listen to those episodes later when this comes out. But this one says, I've recently been put in a position where I had to move back in with my parents. I soon found myself having some mental health triggers. I'm 20 years old. While growing up, my parents have always had an alarm system on the house. They tend to turn on the alarm system by 10 p.m. daily. I found myself feeling trapped in the house after 10 p.m. like I did when I was growing up. Hmm. Growing up, it was basically an unspoken rule that no one goes out after the alarm has been set. I know that as an adult, I can come and go as I please within reason. I know the alarm code and my parents have expressed that I'm not trapped just because the alarm is on. However, I still get anxious and feel trapped every time the alarm is set. How should I go about getting rid of that feeling? Any advice would be helpful. Damn, that's a good question. Man. Yeah. Holy so I crap. think to start off, um, I would say that it seems to me like what you're experiencing is a bit of a, an emotional flashback yep. from <clears throat> before when you were a kid or when you were you know younger about when that, you weren't allowed out of yeah time. that pressure to you yeah. know you have to be in by 10 p.m like you have to make sure you don't leave the house which yeah maybe just like a little pint of ptsd <laughs> like <laughs> well like, it may very well be that you know it wasn't a one-time hey parents said uh you, you can't go out after 10 because we set the alarm it may have been every day you know yeah it may have been a situation where 
you got scolded a few times or et cetera, et cetera. Like yeah. we don't know the extent of the situation, yeah. but we can speculate though. Yeah. Right. And I think that when those emotions are laid down, we have to put into perspective when those emotions are laid down at a younger age, they feel heavier, right? Because even when you are slightly disciplined, when you're a kid, it feels like the biggest thing in the world, right? Like sometimes like, even if you spill something and they're like, Oh, what did you do? You know, it feels kind of shameful. So mm-hmm. in that aspect, you know, because that experience was laid down at such a young age, it makes sense why like that anxiety is still big and present. It makes it makes a lot of sense, and it may you know it. I, it may just be a really normal reaction because mm-hmm. y- your brain had that drilled into it for so long, and you're coming back to the exact same place. I'm assuming it's the same house. Yeah. Well, your brain has those memories. Goes right back there. Hey, I know last time we were here, we couldn't do that. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's really, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of advice, I would say my advice would be to just exposure response prevention yourself through it. Just the alarm is set. You realize that. Just mm-hmm. go out. Yeah, just go good. out after 10, come home, realize nothing bad's going to happen to you. Yeah. You can type in the code. Just keep doing that until it feels healthy. comfortable. Exposure I think, therapy. Yeah, I think that might Exposure be therapy. the best bet for you. Obviously, if you have a care team, talk to your therapist about it. If it's something that really, really bothers you and really mm-hmm. triggers you a lot. Nathan, do you, you might have some thoughts on that. Do you? Just It's just different, I think, going back as an adult to your parents' house. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So... There, I absolutely have experience with feeling trapped in my parents' house in uh, a in not so much of a positive way. Obviously, it's um, but it's it it kind of comes from you know like your parents are people and they have habits and they have routines and they have ways of living and uh, when you live with them, uh, you can you that 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 then becomes a part of your routine to some extent and That's a really good point. and if your parents in in like in my case like um my parents tend to have very different routines from me um well particularly my mom but there's but the point is is that like um because um they stay um they stay home a lot and they do go they do go out occasionally but my parents don't really party or like do or like do go out and like do things like that very often they like um they stay in and uh so uh but they do they do when they do go out they go they spend time with um like my uncles um a lot of the time and uh they'll like go on walks and play board games and stuff like that um point is i'm i'm tangenting a little bit but the point <laughs> is the point is is that um i felt like i had no choice especially since i didn't have a car coming back uh that i had no choice but to um be at their will like yeah be like just be at their like if if i yeah just be a part of be a part of their lives again and it's the thing i really want to get hammer home though is that um you don't is it's that it's that um that feeling of being trapped comes from i feel comes from a place of uh surrender within yourself and i think that um and i think that sticking up for yourself and your needs can help you solve that problem you it's communication is key if you communicate with your if you communicate with your um with your parents uh let them know what your what your situation is be like hey look every time you guys set this alarm i feel trapped and i feel like it's going to be important for my growth as a human being to feel free 
from this. And yeah. you know, I think the conversation is extremely important. I would yeah, agree with that, that. actually, absolutely. Um, one thing may be you at 20 coming back to your parents' house are in a different relationship than you were as a kid, right? Yeah, that's true. You're an adult now. You have agency. Exactly. So you're you're not in a peer relationship, but you can see eye to eye with them on a lot more things now. And so I, I do think if you have the um you know, if you if you have that kind of relationship, just have the talk and say, yeah. I feel kind of anxious about this alarm thing. I know I can go and thanks for the code, but I still feel anxious about it because of how it was growing up yeah and maybe that additional allowing that additional reassurance to happen i think could be really reparative potentially because i mean nathan has spoke about his conversations with his parents and like how the way that they treated him growing up and you know and that was a really reparative conversation for you absolutely it could be something very similar and it could lead to a discussion of hey you know what we understand that we're kind of in a different part of our, our relationship now. Yeah. And, and, you know, you could get the feedback of, I trust you. Do as you please. You know, you're 20 years mm-hmm. old now. You're you're an adult, technically. Yeah. And, you know, we trust you to go out and return home and everything be okay. And maybe just in having that conversation, it would help lessen the anxiety at least a little bit. Yes. Just from my, my own personal experience, um, I have a key to the building that we work in. And yeah. uh, I'm... Pretty anxious every time I go after hours, I'm going to set the alarm off. No, me too, because that <laughs> happened to me. I came into work early one day, and I set the alarm off, and I had no idea what the code was, so I had to call our executive director, and I was like, hey, what yeah. is the code? It's going off. There's somebody outside of the door that's like trying to get my attention, and it's just a really stressful situation, and ever since then, every time I come to the building after 4 o'clock or go in and out, I was anxious, but what helped was the more that I did it, because we do after-hours events sometimes, the more that I went out and came back in using my key and yeah. knowing that nothing happened, the yeah. more the more that did that, it kind of reinforced to me that, okay, it's going to be okay. The alarm doesn't come on until 9 o'clock at night, so everything will be fine as long as I don't come back in at that time. And yeah. if I do, it's fine. I can just call again, and it'll be okay. Here's how I, here's how I get, get around it. Um, and it works. I know there are six digits in the code, and I know, and I have to. I have to tell myself before I open the door every time: touch the panel seven times. That's it. You just have to touch it seven times. Seven. So I know the first six are the numbers, mm. and the last one is enter. But I got I got wrapped around the axle on. Okay, we're gonna push after the code because it's still beeping at you. Yeah. Now that I know, going in exactly how many times I want to touch that thing. Helps me out. But exposure therapy on Mm -hmm. anything safe is Mm -hmm. pretty helpful. It can be. Mm -hmm. It definitely is for me with my OCD because I get stuff like that. Like I used to not be able to drink protein drinks because I thought that they would make me sick. Really? Um, Yeah. And um, what helped me was actually like slowly drinking protein drinks Mm -hmm. over time and then doing more and 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 more until eventually I was able to drink it. More and more and more and more and more and more. It could be very, very helpful. So I'm imagining I'm making this up. So it may be that there are other things that being back in your parents' house are make you uncomfortable because of the rules and because of the structure of growing yeah. up. And it may, you know, if you have that conversation, hey, this is how I'm feeling, it mm. may open up a door to say, okay, well, you know what? 
let's talk about it for a minute. Yeah. yeah. If we're, you have that relationship with absolutely. your parents, it's we're not here keeping our eyes on you. That's not what we're doing. You yeah. Know, we're glad you're here. But yeah, because they could be actually really excited that you're back because a lot of times empty nest nesting is a huge thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So they could even be stoked that you're back. So yep. could be a great conversation to have with them. Yeah. I'm sure that they enjoy spending time with you, you know, to some degree. I, it, I don't know the relationship with your parents, but ideally, I guess yeah. that would be the case. I'm going to throw this out and it goes for any, any question, at least I ever try to answer. If we don't get it right, let us know, please. Yeah, yeah please, please do. Give us feedback for sure. Please do. Because if yeah. this ends up in a screaming match with your parents, we'd love to know if, that. And if, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I tell my friends, uh, I'm not good at texting because there's no nonverbal cue. So if, right. if we, you know, didn't understand the, the nature of the question, yeah. sometimes let Definitely us know. Definitely let us know for sure. Definitely. And I just want to end with that by saying um, that I forget (laughs) ADHD. I'm sorry. Um, It was something along the lines of like, um, oh, right. So just the whole I feel like a lot of parents will enforce the whole my house, my rules thing. Uh, our house, our rules. Uh, there, there is, um, there is a, a degree of respect that comes with being in uh, the sharing a space with someone, but they can also be toxic about it and and, and and make you do a lot of unre- like unreasonable things to satisfy their needs in you know like in in ways that that, that aren't considerate towards you so be, be sure to evaluate that if that's yeah. what's happening and i would also like to pinpoint the fact that it was an unspoken rule that nobody goes out after the alarm is set and i think the unspokenness of it all can add an additional layer of anxiety yeah. because of the fact that that boundary wasn't appropriately communicated to you Mm -hmm. thus giving you that kind of anxiety because it was never a conversation that was to be had so maybe if the conversation is had now that you're an adult and you're 20 um it could alleviate Mm -hmm. some of that anxiety and at least for me in an unspoken rule situation i awfulize yeah my brain goes way too far than it should have my parents may have been thinking hey we're keeping our family safe i may have been thinking oh my god they're up in my business they don't trust me exactly yeah Mm -hmm. For sure. All right. The only other uh, idea I have is since you have the code, change it and make them earn it back. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. All right. Is there another one that you guys specifically want to tackle for yourselves? I picked that one because I thought it was. Remember when we uh, recorded that episode on boundaries and I was laying on the floor in the fetal position the whole time? Yeah. Well, (laughs) I, I got that going on here, too. But I have to tackle this question at some point. Really? So since you asked for volunteers. Okay, go for it. I want to start a relationship with someone. How should I go about letting them know my triggers or my trauma without scaring them away? This is a really, really okay. great question. And I can give do you, you a one? lot of ways not to do it. Um, Which could be helpful. Yeah. Uh-huh. Don't dump. Yeah, don't trauma dump on the... Yeah. On the I think... Um, it's really difficult because I'm the type of person that is very upfront at first. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot accept that, there is the door and don't let it hit you on the way out. But that's not me being like, this is all the bad shit that's ever happened to me on the first date, right? It's, I ask them their feelings about mental health, mental illness, uh, mental health medication. I kind of get a finger on the pulse really? of, yeah, that's kind of what I like to do because. How do you bring that up? Um, well, I'm the type of person that has a lot of very strong walls up in the, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So if this person doesn't like what I have to say, goodbye. 
is kind of like how I am. I don't really get, I get attached very quickly, but the first kind of like two or three dates, I really kind of suss out the situation and see kind of where they're at and what their, you know, values are. And then if they align with my values, then I just instantly fall in love and it's just a terrible. <laughs> no, <I'm> just <laughs> She's not kidding. No, um, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> So um, I, I, I think it just depends too how deep and far you are into this relationship yeah, already. I too. think that context is important. If yeah. you're just talking about generally, um, then that's kind of how I would go about it. But if you're in a, you know, situation where you're close with somebody mm-hmm. right now and you're just like wondering how to tackle this situation, what do you guys think? I got a couple of examples. I may be going some, through something similar to this. I am. Uh, so what I had tried to do in the beginning was um, make sure that I didn't have any non-neurotypical uh, responses to things that were outliers. So I, had, so I will. So I had to say to, to my friend, um, hey, I may react really strangely to some things that you do. If yeah. I do, let's talk about them because they're not you. Uh, good example. Um, my friend was here the other day and uh, her phone was on the coffee table. She's like, hey, babe, where's my phone? I'm like, it's over there on the coffee table. And I walk towards it and I'm like, uh, do you want me to pick it up and bring it to you? Yeah. Because in my past experience, Phones were not a good thing. You don't touch the phone or the phone's going to get thrown at your head. <laughs> it could. Or you touch the phone and you see something that you didn't want to see. Yeah. So uh, we had a little conversation about that. Uh-huh. Um, first time she stayed over, I stood up all night. That was okay. Because yeah. I told her, "You're. I want you here. I want you to be comfortable. I'm going to do the best I can. Uh-huh. Uh, but I kind of gave her a heads up, you know that uh, it would take me a minute to be comfortable with somebody here uh, Mm -hmm. while I'm asleep and there are knives in the kitchen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, my partner was actually like that as well in the beginning too. Really? Yeah. Like he could fall asleep at my house for like maybe an hour or two, but he could never spend the night because he felt unsafe Uh unless he brought over a weapon with him. Okay. I'm good now. Mm -hmm. It it didn't take long. Um, We had, we had one, one pretty interesting conversation of, maybe a month or so in the, when we started dating, um, I texted her and I was having a shitty mental health day. I said, Hey, yeah. I'm having a really ugly day. Mentally has nothing to do with you mm-hmm. at all. I just want you to know that. So if I respond inappropriately or in an odd way, mm-hmm. keep that paradigm in mind. And she um, was really appreciative yeah. Of that. Hey, thanks for letting me know that it may be odd. And we got through that. I think what I'm hearing yeah. from you is that communication is key. Oh, yeah. And I think, yes. too, like, I would say that I wouldn't go too much too soon, though, you know, I like to suss out how they feel about mental health in general in the beginning. Yeah. But if that's not something that you're comfortable with, definitely don't do that. But I think the way that, you know, Bill approaches it is really nice, like situationally. And, yeah. and I think that after a few times of like dating somebody or being with them, you can kind of get a gauge for how they feel about that kind of stuff just by getting to know them and getting comfortable with them. 
Uh-huh. Um, and so I think communication is, is definitely important. And I will also say that you can never scare somebody away that truly values you and yeah, cares about you. That's a big one. You know, I think that it's very, very important to surround yourself with people that'll go to bat for you in those type of situations. Yes. And sometimes stuff like that is hard for people and that's their own journey, but that mm-hmm. is to no fault of your own. Mm-hmm. And that does not mean that there is anything wrong with you. Yeah. It's just what they can handle and what they can't handle. Yeah. And I want to highlight just um, being honest about like knowing yourself well enough to be honest about how comfortable you'd be sharing stuff would yeah. make it a lot easier for you to communicate to them. Just be like, I'm like this. I tend to be an oversharer. I just want to, or I tend to overshare. And this is why just wanted to let you know, hope and like, hope you're okay. Hope you hope that sounds okay with you. And if they value you and your time, then, you know, it's, it'll work out. Like, it's just a matter of knowing yourself well enough to know, like to know how much you want to share and how comfortable you will be with sharing and then let them know that. And who and I'll bet I'll bet I'll bet they'll have some stuff they'll want to share with you too. Less is more most of the time. Cont- yeah. And yeah, contextually it can come out too, where it's like you don't have you don't you, you don't dump where it can right. where it just come yeah. out. Yeah. You can't rewind what you say, right? Exactly. Um, and I, I asked my um, friend about this question a little while ago. Just get her input on it, and um, we talked about that. You know, less is more, and I say the same thing about any kind of conversation you're going to have, Hey, you don't have to tell me anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing has to yeah. come out of your mouth, but if it does it better be the fucking truth. Yeah. That's mm. it. I think that's true. So keep that in mind. Yeah. And um, it, I think too, like for me, I oftentimes think that my mental health is holds more weight in situations than it does because of the way that I feel about it, because it is my life and it is something that I really, really struggle with. It's a good point. It's and it's what you do every day, all day. Life. Yeah. And I think that in reality, you know, my mental health really impacts my relationship, but only in the event we're having conflict, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it could be a situation in where like, you don't even necessarily know how much the relationship is going to impact you until stuff like their phones left on the table. Yeah, you looking don't know. for it. Yeah. You it, know? Yeah. And then I've that's had, when you can have those conversations. I had a couple of things happened that my stomach just started churning. I had no idea it was going to. Um, mm-hmm. Flame out, eject, lost my Yeah, and that's that's those like emotional flashbacks that, that we're talking yeah, about. Those, you those know what? feelings yeah, that okay. are brought up from previous situations. Yeah, yep. I may have told you guys I didn't get that stuff, but I do. Yeah. Know, so I thought uh, <laughs> <laughs> I told her at one point, you know, I'm just going to post on Facebook. To whom it may concern. If I met you on a dating site and you're trolling my social media, welcome. Have <laughs> hey, a look around. <laughs> I just want to apologize for any non-neurotypical response I have, especially when I don't understand your kindness. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. not you. Mm. Understanding kindness is um, it's something. it's something that even kind people can falter with, you know? Yeah. And I want to highlight how should I go about letting them know my triggers or my trauma. I think that it's very important to have the conversation with them in an environment and in a situation where things aren't super tense mm-hmm. um, and ensure, like Bill had said previously, that, you know, some things that some people do 
could have nothing to do with them and everything to do with your previous experiences. And explaining that to them, I think, is really important as the relationship grows, right? You know, one thing that has helped me is, um, mm-hmm. and I don't remember what you said that made me think of it, but uh, when we have to have a conversation about something like that, I, I'll say, hey, let's take a walk. Mm, yeah. Just don't do it in the house. Mm-hmm. Don't do it in the room because this is our safe space. Right? Oh, I like that. Mm. Let's get out of the environment. We're going to have it there. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a good idea too, because then you're getting those endorphins from walking and you're getting, you know, the visual stimulus Absolutely. from being in nature. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I think for, that's a really good idea. For me, I know that uh, doing something like going on a walk can help me, can help stimulate creative thinking or just thinking in general or just like yeah just processing stuff it's like it's i don't know if it's i don't know if it's because i don't know if it's an adhd thing but i mean i I think it is but it's (laughs) like i think but i but it definitely helps to get those endorphins going i've never come back from a walk and said that was a waste of time right (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i think to kind of in summation communication is key uh less is more oftentimes you know um we watched uh, Silver Lang's playbook the other day. Oh, so good. Maybe it's a great one. book is good. The book is amazing as well. Maybe find something that um, you both like that touches on the subject. Mm. Bet. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. May start some conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of gauging how they feel. I think that's actually a really good thing because you could dip your toe in the water yeah. on how they feel about that kind yeah. of thing mm-hmm. and um, kind of ask their advice in that moment. And, you know, if they're stigmatizing or they have any microaggressions towards that, you'll kind of know in, in that moment. Yeah. I know that the feedback I got from my, my friend was um, you, Bill, have done a really good job of letting me know beforehand this is not about you. It's yeah. not about the way you're exactly. treating me. It's not about us. And that puts her at ease because especially early on, my go-to is, oh, shit, it's me. What did I do? How did I mess it up? Oh, yeah. Put that out there and say, it's not not you at all. Yeah. And I think, too, like sometimes that reception won't be the greatest either Um, because in my past experience, I've had previous partners where I go, it's not you, it's my previous experiences. And then they automatically come back with, well, why are you comparing us? Mm. And then Mm -hmm. I have to go into, well, it's not me comparing you. It's my body remembering situations and looking out for, you know, things that remind me of past situations. And though I'm not comparing, the feelings that I'm feeling about this situation are very similar as past experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's, you know, really important to try to explain if you're in a, I think that's more long term. Right. Like, I think that's more when you're getting into the nitty gritty. But I think the more relationships you've had, the easier it is for that person to go, hey, you know, we're not comparing me to somebody else. It's not about that. Yeah. And I think, too, it's like having an understanding of mental health in general, I think, is key in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Or being willing to learn about it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I had uh, one experience a long time ago. I think we talked about it where uh, I was getting ready for bed. This person I was seeing and uh, I took my shirt off and I had scars on my shoulder. And she's like, what's that from? I'm like, oh, motherfucker. That's some years of cutting, <laughs> right? <sighs> but I remember in that moment thinking, you got to you gotta hit this head on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got one shot at this. Yeah. So I, so an I said, opportunity yeah. to seize everything like, you ever How was wanted. that? It, that one went really well. She was really nice about it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's yeah. awesome. And that's the thing is, too, is like this could foster a way to become closer and to oh in my case that's absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. no doubt no doubt yeah and that's the thing is like that's 
the most important part of it all, right, is to foster that closeness rather than create that divide. And if that is divide is created by another person because of your personal experience of, you know, your me, life and the way that you're explaining your situation, then they don't need to be in your life anyways. Let me play devil's advocate with you. Go for it. Doing that, sharing those things, and then getting a response that's caring, mm-hmm. supportive, mm-hmm. understanding, loving. Mm-hmm. That makes me go, ooh, okay, you know, and I got to watch out for that. Yeah, like you cling on to that person yep. because of that. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that can, okay, yeah, I feel that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely something that can happen with, because, yeah, if they're encouraging you and believing in you when you can't do it for yourself, it can mean the world to you. Yeah, and I mean, that's okay, right? That's it's okay. okay. Sure. Yeah, it's I'm not saying that's bad. That. Yeah. I'm not saying that's no. bad. Uh, we've talked about, you know, in the past, um, I try to stick to the facts. Mm-hmm. So when I start feel that way, I've been saying, okay, how long have I known this person? Right, right, right. Ground yourself in that reality. Right. Well, what's acceptable at this point? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's a really good point. Mm-hmm. All right. Nathan, do you have a question that you want to try to answer? I see one on here that we've kind of talked about with our ADHD episode that we're going to be having coming out. Well, you want to do that one then? Um, yeah, it's the second to last one, if you want to read it. But I have a hard time even getting even the minimal basic tasks okay. done. I have a hard time getting even the minimal basic tasks done. What suggestions do you have to get back on track? Should I ask my partner to help remind me? I don't want to come off as irresponsible. All right. um, So asking a partner to help is never a bad idea. Um, If it's a loving person who's going, who's who you're living with and or spending lots of time with um, like having their assistance is encouraged and will definitely help. Um, and a lot of times just asking that question too, cause our partners want to help us, you know, yeah. a lot of times that's the case. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I do. What mm-hmm. can I, what would you like me to do now? Uh, for example, your partner needs to make a doctor's appointment and they're mm-hmm. not doing it. I know that, you know, that you need to do this. <laughs> I know that you're going to do it at some point. What can I do to help foster that process? What do you need from me? Mm-hmm. A lot of times you get, I don't know. And I tell people at work all the time, that's okay. You know what? If you don't know, I get that. We'll yeah. Figure it out together. And I think too, sometimes body doubling is a really powerful tool. Like just be, like having somebody to be there with you while you're doing the thing can be so, yeah. so, so helpful. That's what that's called? Mm-hmm. Body doubling? I so think like so. when, <laughs> pretty sure. Last week when I had my friend come over to the office three days in a row so I can make a phone call mm-hmm. while she sat there. Yeah. yeah. Did play it on her phone. Mm-hmm. I just needed her to be in the room. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yep. Yes. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Body that, doubling. That really happened. Yeah. I will, I can, I can amount to this recently. I reconnected with a really great friend recently and we enjoy each other's company to that degree that we just like hanging out, even if they're reading a book and I'm doing something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, and just, we just enjoy each other's company and so it's that would definitely be what I guess what I guess we would consider body doubling. But it's like basically the situation is like it's always nice to share something with someone because just having it there for your own head to digest and everything, especially if you're prone to mental illness and or depression or mm. self-criticism, it can you can you you can start to not see the greatness in what you're doing. Mm. And I, I make music and I like to make music by myself. I like to compose by myself and stuff. But like making it with friends is way more exhilarating because we trade off 
responsibilities and react to each other's ideas and it's way more dynamic and fun yeah you know and i i am prone to self-criticism so like if i'm doing it by myself i might get a little burnt out on it and then be like oh it's not good it's not good i have to come back with a fresh mind you know what i mean but so like definitely like the that body doubling i definitely feel that and i also wanted to get into the uh one the thing minimal- on the body doubling before we what you that subject yeah that was not the person that i'm in this relationship with because we're not there yet yeah i didn't need her to hear those phone calls yeah but i had a friend yeah you had a friend yeah come and help you out yeah i would also like to add um the i don't want to come off as irresponsible i don't think that you having a hard time getting even the minimal basic tasks done is irresponsible at all i think that life requires us to do very mundane annoying minimal things that nobody really likes doing yeah and it's okay if you can't do those things and you have a hard time staying on track and doing them that's completely okay and completely valid yes 100 percent valid if you're if you're struggling with basic tasks uh just know you're not alone and, and you're not irresponsible and you're not irresponsible and to be honest um if you feel like you i'm, I'm not sure exactly what uh, which tasks you mean specifically um, because it could be a number of different things, but the base basic tasks, I guess you could say maybe like doing your laundry yeah. or like cleaning your house. Uh, I am guilty of not being able to do those things <laughs> myself. Uh, so same, same thing. Um, you like basically like, but the way, the, so the way I do it is I was just like, Sunday is my day for basic tasks. You know okay. what I mean? And I'm just like, I'm going to, cl- I'm going to clean my space while I'm going to put laundry in and then clean my space a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Just do a little, little maintenance. You, you stick to that for a few weeks and it gets a lot easier. It does. Yeah. Once you build it that does. routine. I, uh, Amanda came in and said, your house is clean. When did that happen? It's at <laughs> four o'clock this morning because I said to myself, spree. Hey, at five, you got to clean, you, you got to clean the kitchen. All right. And I set a time. And then at five, I was late to work, but it was like 5.03. So, yeah. And I think, too, um, also some things that I've seen just from people on TikTok and things like that um, is setting a timer, seeing how much you can get done within the allotted amount of time on the timer. Yes. So you have... 10 minutes to clean your kitchen. And then it's kind of like a little yeah. like task. It's, it's, it's like a little it's adventure. A, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Way That's too for sure. Far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know he would. Um, but no, the, the point is, is that, that I've, I've heard that that's, I've heard that uh, method tossed around for people with ADHD when doing tasks as well. Just set, setting a timer um, gives you a deadline and yeah. ADHDers are notoriously deadlineless individuals. <laughs> this has actually helped me to, um, I'm a visualizer. So there's a note on my fridge that says, think of the feeling that you're going to have when blah, blah, blah yeah, is that's done. A good one. That's oh, a good yeah. one. And, yeah. and my, you know, I write, write that every morning and it helps me to not even think about, Oh God, I got to do that. It's more, what it's I like, want out of it. Exactly. Like yeah. this is what, this is what's going to, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to feel when I'm done. You're going to get that good feeling yeah. after you do this. This is thing, what's going to so. be possible. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's, that's some really great advice. Yeah, that's great Anything advice. else we want to add before we move on? Um, 
because I can take I the think, next one. I feel like I feel like we nailed that one. I, I feel like we, we nailed it pretty good. well. Hopefully you think hopefully you agree. You think, you hopefully you the think question. so too. <laughs> you know, in a relationship too, it's easy to sometimes divide tasks because yeah. maybe it's just not something you yeah. ever want to do. Team. Yeah. Maybe like, your team. Yeah. Maybe partner. Like for me and my partner is when I do the dishes, he'll empty the dishwasher. When I empty the dishwasher, he'll do the dishes. Bet. If I cook, he's going to do the dishes kind of thing. So yeah. we divide things up so it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll take this next one. I find my mental health being triggered often with my work environment. What should I do to minimize my reaction to those triggers? All right. It depends on the triggers, I guess. So I think for me, um, I deal with this a lot at my current job. Me and Bill have had many conversations about this. Um, And it really, like Nathan said, it, it is dependent upon the triggers. Unfortunately, my trigger is the nature of the environment in where I work. Um, I have, I guess you could say like parental mental health trauma, um, and working at a mental health facility, um, or, you know, an organization where people struggle with their mental health is with primarily people, at least your parents age. Yes. Um, is very difficult for me and very triggering because it's hard for me to not feel responsible for their mental wellness. Um, and hmm. so... I would say, hmm, depending on your work environment, communicate potentially with your supervisor or your boss um, and kind of explain what you're dealing with, if that's an option, um, Mm -hmm. so that there could potentially be accommodations made. Uh, What helped me too is, you know, if you work in an office environment and it's situations in the office, you know, noise canceling headphones worked really well for Mm. me for a while. Um, how are you not throwing out the B word boundaries? Yeah. Boundaries. No, I was going to, I was going to get to that. Okay. I was talking more like surface level things gotcha. in the beginning. Um, yeah. cause it really kind of depends on what the specific triggers are and what your work environment is. Um, but yeah, boundaries are super important. Letting people know, like for me, it was people would just come into my office randomly at any time whenever yeah. they wanted. And I was in a flow state working. Right. Yeah. And then when that flow state is interrupted, as you guys know, it can be extremely difficult to get back into the flow state Next or November. to even rem- right or to <laughs> right. even like remember yeah. what you were you doing previously. Yeah. 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 Um, and so that was happening pretty, pretty frequently. So I had to, you know, set the boundary. And when people would come in, I have to say, hey, I have work to do. Can we talk about this later? Or I put a sign on my door that says, you know, work in progress. Please don't enter, which sometimes that works. Sometimes it didn't. It just depended on the individual. Um, But really vocalizing myself and setting that boundary and saying, you know, hey, I'm busy right now. Let's schedule a time where we can talk later Um, or things like that were really, really important for me and could be really beneficial and helpful for you as well. Um, Depending on what your work environment is. Um, what you should do to minimize your reaction to those triggers other than setting boundaries is learning what those triggers are and mm-hmm. how to really manage them. I think that if you have a therapist, talking to your therapist would be really, really great. Um, and making sure that you always have um, ways to cope through those triggers mm-hmm. readily available for you. I have essential because sometimes smells really trigger me. Yeah, uh, We talk about this in the CPTSD, PTSD episode that's going to come out. Um, there's smells that trigger me. And so I always have essential oils on hand. I always have fidget toys on hand so I can do some stimming. Um, I always make sure I have like things that I can like touch or taste. I like have chocolate in my office, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes or like snack things to help ground me in those moments. Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually at home have a box under my bed of just like 
a bunch of tools for like coping in case I get triggered at home too. So just make sure that you have, you know, resources available for you to ground yourself in the moment when you're triggered and know what those coping tactics are for you, whether that's like a breathing exercise, you know, grounding yourself, working on, you know, the five, four, three, two, one, um, senses, like five things Mm -hmm. that you can see four things that you, you know, those kinds of things out for eight. Yeah. And the box breathing and all that kind of stuff. We got to describe that stuff. We're going to throw it out for real. Um, so the five, four, three, two, one senses is, um, for each sense that you have, um, name, like five things that you see in the room, right? Okay. Four things that you can feel three things that you can hear two things that you can smell and one thing that you can taste. That's a framework for mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And that helps ground you. And that's something that I use very often when I have panic attacks in the car or like I get triggered out in public. That's a really important one that I use. Um, Takes you out of your brain and into your senses. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, And then box breathing is something that's really helpful. And that's um, basically like it's the breathe in for four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four. Yeah. And then just repeat that um, to really ground yourself. Also, if you breathe out, this is uh, the five, seven, eight, right? If you breathe out longer than you're in breath, then that will trigger your body that you're safe. Um, Because back in the day when we were primal and we were running away from animals, we could not breathe out very heavily when we were running like... Right. When you're running away and you're in danger. Right. And so when you breathe out longer than your in breath, it signals to the primal part of your body that you are feeling safe. You're back grounded. You're not running away from danger. Wow. I didn't know that it went all the way that deep. That's Mm -hmm. yeah. So, okay. So interesting tidbit. So a couple of things that you could do in those types of situations. Anybody else have any other advice? Hunter advice from our hunter gatherer brain. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's pretty sick. So, yeah, I I have uh, something I keep in my pocket. And it's um, not like to the inception point, you know, but so that I can feel that tangibly um, if I can't get up and leave my desk. If yeah. someone has got me trapped in my office, I've yeah. got something that they can't even see. They don't mm-hmm. know what I'm doing. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm good. And uh, one of our really good facilitators um, taught me he uh, has two phrases that he'll when he's got his rock or whatever it is in his head, he's saying, I'm safe. Yeah. That's what I do with this. So I bring, I bring three fingers to my thumb because our brain likes to think in threes. So I do. I am happy. I am healthy. I am safe. And I'll do that under the table when I'm triggered. Sometimes I'm I'm healthy healthy and I'm safe. And I'll just keep repeating that to my, to myself. And I'll say it in my head because oftentimes when we hear the word safe or we say the word safe, it actually signals to our body safety. Cool. Big, big one right there. That's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. And, and also doing things in threes is nice and grounding. Yeah. Like it's, it's really most... grounding to our nervous system as well. Yeah. <laughs> too but... far, too close, just right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you know, like if you're, if you're trying, if you're trying to throw a pe- if you're trying to throw a piece of paper into a trash can, that's really far away. You might, you might like you, you, you micro adjust until you get it right. And yeah. usually mm. you go too far, then you're, you overcompensate, you go too short. And then you're like somewhere in the middle, boom, you hit it. Yeah. You know, I think um, 
I like what you said there too. And it just triggered a thought within me. I think just working with yourself and what works for you when you are finding yourself being triggered, ground yourself in why am I triggered right now? What am I feeling? And where is this feeling coming from? I think is really important. And then assessing going forward if you can remove that trigger from the environment or set a boundary around that trigger. Mm -hmm. If in the event it's something where you cannot remove that trigger from from your environment or you cannot set that boundary, Mm -hmm. um, then really try to work with yourself on what coping tactics you can use to mitigate the impact that that trigger has on your body, um, which is definitely something I would recommend doing with a therapist if you have one. Um, But if you don't, you can definitely um, just try a bunch of different coping tactics, Google, YouTube, you know, things that may work specifically for you and what your trigger is. Yeah. Um, Because if it's something like I'm a bartender and I work at a bar and one of our regulars really triggers me, it could be a situation where if you're the only bartender, that's not something you can like go away from that person. Yeah. Um, But just kind of using those grounding tools in those moments to, you know, keep yourself leveled when that person comes in yes. or making sure you spray some extra, you know, perfume on you, or you have something that's very grounding. I actually also use peppermint, like Burt's Bees peppermint lip balm. Yeah. And that's actually really grounding too, because it's like tingly. And then you can also smell the peppermint. Um, and it's really helpful. So I think it really is just about grounding yourself um, in what that trigger yeah. is, assessing it, analyzing where it comes yeah. from and trying to adjust from there is really important. Depending on uh, where you work and what size company it is too, um, make yourself avail- um, aware of the resources that you have. Yes. You, know, you may have an EAP that you could tap into um, what is employee EAP? assistance program. Okay. Um, or a certain number of counseling visits with your health insurance. Um, you know, check your employee handbook. Yeah, or if you don't have insurance, openpathcollective.org is a great resource to use for um, affordable therapy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll say this. If the triggering is coming from another individual's interactions with you, tell your boss because it's going to be easier for you to deal with that person if somebody on the on the higher end understands why you're uncomfortable yeah okay so we got a few more questions here i kind of want to run through some of these because we only have a little bit of you know what left. i'm going to push back on that just a little bit i'm gonna go back what to I the said? relationship thing yeah it's not a bad idea but my first if i could might be to talk to that person and say hey look not you this is how i'm this is how what you're doing is landing with me yeah, yeah. I guess that that's what you should. My my case was the my case was more the extreme case where that doesn't work. But you've certainly got a backup there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But if you're comfortable, you know, having that conversation, it's it's not you. But yeah. can can we change this? Yeah, here's a bit? here's what here's what I need to to be comfortable. There you go. Can we do this? Yeah, definitely. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one. Um, okay, those were all ones that we did. Uh, I like this one. Why does it feel important to have a diagnosis? I know I should focus on just feeling better, but time and time again, I question if I have ADHD, what I'm being treated for, or something else altogether. So here's my hot take. All right. Hot take on the mic for this. Flaming hot. Uh, Flaming hot. So I have been misdiagnosed a few times. I was originally diagnosed with um, just depression and anxiety. 
and then ADHD originally, Mm -hmm. um, and then bipolar disorder. And then I finally got my diagnosis of CPTSD. The -hmm. interesting thing is, is each treatment aside from the stimulant, the stimulant did not work well for me, Yeah, but the treatments and the coping tactics that I learned and that I got through all of these diagnoses Mm -hmm. were beneficial and were helpful for my CPTSD being on a mood stabilizer. Um, when I was diagnosed with bipolar actually really did help me at the yeah. time when I needed it. Cause my moods were so in flux because I was getting triggered so often. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and all of the coping tactics I learned to calm myself down and to make myself focus were really, really, really helpful in the moment. So I think, you know, diagnosis is really important when you're looking at your treatment options in terms of what types of therapy you're getting. And if you're being medicated, However, in terms of coping tactics and skills you can use, it's all about symptom management. Um, I'm a huge firm believer in symptom management because there's so many overlapping symptoms between a lot of different disorders. Like we talk, like we'll talk about and you'll hear in in future episodes that things like CPTSD, ASD, ADHD, all symptomatically look, yeah, and bipolar, all symptomatically look very, very, very similar. And there's only a few traits that differentiate them from one another. Um, and so whether or not you have ADHD, I think is, you know, something that is important for you on your journey. If you feel like that diagnosis is helpful for you, I think that if we're looking in terms of medication, diagnoses are very important, but I think if we're looking in terms of like symptom management, like coping tactics, like therapy, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's important for the modality that you're using, right? Because with OCD, CBT works sometimes with OCD, but with my specific health OCD, I have to do ERP. Like I have to do exposure response prevention and I can't just do the cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Similar thing with like, um, with CPTSD, I can do cognitive behavioral therapy, but that only takes me so far. So now I have to do eye movement, desensitization, desensitization and reprocessing because I need to reprocess those emotions that come from all of the trauma that I've worked through in CBT. So diagnoses yeah. are important for those kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that symptom management is the most important. I agree with that hundred mm-hmm. um, percent. If the question had ended at time and time again, I question if I have ADHD Yeah. period me too. I've been dealing with this shit for a long, long time. And there are yeah. many days I'm like, I'm not sick. I'm lazy. I'm a dick. Yeah. I'm just, you know, <laughs> you just assign something. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's That's natural. Gonna be stuck in my head the rest of the day. <laughs> I think it's natural to question your diagnosis for sure. Um, because like with me, I was misdiagnosed and I really feel like I align with my diagnosis and I'm happy that I eventually found my diagnosis of CPTSD because yeah. it made so many things make so much sense to my brain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of important of diagnosis for some people is it provides you clarity and it provides you of comfort in knowing like, wow, okay, this is what this has been this whole time. And then I can research mm-hmm. and learn from other people who have this label and this name yeah. and learn from them and what they can do. But the thing is too, is like, I research things about, you know, autism spectrum disorder and ADHD and a lot of the things that people who struggle with those things and what they mm-hmm. do help me with my CPTSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it really, I think, just depends on how you're going about treating your mental health. Yeah. Figure out what makes you calm and what helps you stay centered and do more of that. Yeah. But 
I, and I agree. I think that a lot of these disorders have symptoms that overlap and it's, it can be hard to, a diagnosis is, a, it can, helps you it, like it, it puts a label on it. And, uh, if, because if, if, and, and sometimes that can help, but it's also really like, like we're saying, um, you know, just because ADHD ears, ADHD ears have rejection sensitive dysphoria, and that comes from feeling, you know, inadequate because they can't keep up with regular society. And that can mm. cause that can, and, and, and because, and because that, but, but those constant interactions where you feel let down can also cause PTSD because they create stressful situations. So there's kind of an accompanying system of PTSD triggers that can kind of accompany ADHD. It's, it can all become a mixed bag, you know? Yeah. So like essentially when you're struggling with, being neurodivergent in a neurotypical society, it can then cause its own layer of trauma. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's, that's an important piece as well. And I just think like, if you are wanting to get medicated, I do believe a diagnosis is important because of the fact that if like in my situation, because of the time that I was struggling, I had complex post-traumatic stress disorder and they really didn't mm -hmm. know a lot about what that was at the time. Yeah. Um, I got put on stimulants and that was not a good thing for me. Mm -mm. I really, really like tanked and I was angry all the time and I was frustrated. Yeah. And I punched a hole in my wall. Like it was a lot. And so mm -hmm. I think that if it's in terms of that kind of stuff, then it is really important. But I think that, you know, getting advice from people who have firsthand yeah. experiences with things like listening to this podcast Hey. Uh, I think can be really helpful and really beneficial and really important. I agree with you, Amanda, that for me, um, managing my symptoms is the important part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What a diagnosis did was give me a place to start looking for information. Exactly. Got you. When you're, if a diagnosis is important though, please use person first language with yourself. Yes. All right. Let's uh, define, let's define that. Okay. Put the person first when describing yeah. the thing. I am a person living with bipolar disorder. Yeah. Instead of saying, I, am, I have bipolar disorder. Or saying, I am bipolar. I am bipolar, yeah. yeah. Saying, I am somebody who struggles with bipolar disorder, yeah. or I am somebody with bipolar disorder. Somebody yeah. living with whatever it is they're living there with. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it's just a part part of your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that. It's a good point. It's not, it's not what you are. It's something that you have yeah. along the way. Okay, this, this next one I think is really great. I've been going to therapy for over 13 years. Why do I still feel like shit sometimes? I put a lot of work in. Mm. I completely agree with you in, in that one yeah. because I've been in therapy since I have been 13 years old. Um, and I realized, I yeah, mm. um, uh, which is why I'm so knowledgeable, Nathan. Of course. Uh, yeah, you know, th th this, suddenly <laughs> this makes a lot of sense. Suddenly this is all making more sense. We're coming uh, no. full circle here. <laughs> no, um, I, I feel a similar way until I realized that um, a lot of the work and this is kind of, you know, piggybacking off the original the question that we just answered is that CBT cognitive behavioral therapy only worked to a point. Right. Like I was able to figure out which was really, really helpful for me at the time. I was able to figure out why I was experiencing the emotional dysregulation that I was experiencing in the moment. I could pinpoint mm -hmm. why it was. And I knew that. And so it took some of the shame and the blame away off of myself um, and then helped me kind of like cope through that a little bit. But what I didn't realize was that some of that trauma was so 
deep within me that I needed to do some serious processing. And um, that's something that I needed to do through like EMDR. Um, And Mm -hmm. I realized, you know, very actually recently that my anxiety that I've experienced most of my life is actually OCD. Mm -hmm. Um, It's OCD anxiety. And so for that, that's a whole nother layer of support that I need to go through. So then I realized that I needed to do ERP for that. And so it could just be, you know, hopefully you haven't had the same therapist for, you know, over 13 years. If you have, that's totally okay. But maybe look at branching out into like other forms of therapy or other therapists potentially, um, or Uh just realize when you're just going through the motions of talking about your day every day and you're not actually tackling stuff that you need to tackle. That's where I was going to go. At some point it's okay to pull, pull the plug on your, on your therapist, on your psychiatrist, on your, you know, family doctor, on your oncologist. It, just because I they have a degree them. does not mean they're good at what they do. I always say finding a therapist is like finding a friend. You have to find, obviously your therapist isn't your friend, but you have yeah. to find somebody that you gel with and that you vibe with and that is actually committed yeah. to helping you. Because the same person that gave me my diagnosis is not the same person that I see now Yeah. Um, because she was very, very helpful in giving me my official diagnosis that I really, uh-huh. really was aligned with. She taught me so much in our time together, yeah. but eventually she didn't, she stopped being able to provide me with what I needed. Right. Because yeah. I am a very self-aware person. I can, I know why I do everything that I do. Right. I'm aware of that. So that's not what I need. I don't need people to be like, Oh, well, where does that come from? Because I know I can tell you exactly why every feeling that I have is there and where it comes yeah. from and why it's there. Um, what I need is to be able to process that feeling and make sure that it's not as heavy each time that I'm feeling it. Mm. And so with that comes its own set of, you know, therapeutic yeah you know stuff that i need to be doing and so i've been through a lot of different therapists mm-hmm. in my life jesus yeah. um let's see let me It'd count be like them. that sometimes yeah uh six i'm on my sixth therapist nope my seventh my seventh therapist got you how do you know when it's time to change Um, when Mm. I don't feel myself progressing and I have that conversation with them and I say, Hey, you kind of have to be in charge of your own recovery in this kind of aspect. And I say, Hey, I don't feel like we're making progress here. How can we divert and start making progress and having that conversation with a therapist and then seeing if the diversion or like the reworking of goals Mm -hmm. is helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, and if Mm -hmm. even after the goals have been reworked and the conversation has been had, um, yeah. I still don't feel like I'm making as much progress as I should, then that's when I kind of know, okay, this needs to be a change. I've actually had therapists tell me, Hey, I think mm-hmm. that you need something more, which is how I got my therapist now is I think you need something more than I can provide for you. This is yeah. where I think that you should go next. You know, that's helpful. I, this is, I'm just asking a question. I don't know the answer. Um, it seems to me that it would be pretty appropriate yeah. to, have a conversation with your therapist and say, here's what I want to see in myself in three months and six months, however long that is tangible, something you can put on paper or in your phone. Definitely set that goal. Have nouns and verbs attached to them that are facts. Yeah. These are the things I want to see. Yeah. And then you can check that and say, okay, we're not getting there. Exactly. I think that's really important too. Yeah. And 
This person said, why do I still feel like shit sometimes? I put a lot of work in. I think too, it's important to put into perspective that just because you're going into therapy doesn't mean you're not going to still get triggered. You're not going to still feel like shit sometimes. Therapy isn't like a cure-all. There are things that I really, really have worked very, very hard on in therapy, processing Mm -hmm. and everything that they still really, really fuck with me, but not as much as they used to. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to see how much progress we have actually made. You know, kind of like when you're going through a weight loss journey and you don't really like, you don't physically see it on yourself. Yeah. But then other people will say, oh my gosh, you look like you've lost a lot of weight. Like it's kind of like one of those things in where like, that's a great comment. Why would it not apply to your mental health? Why would you not be looking for your friends and the people that know you well to come to you and say, hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. You really handled that well. Yeah. And that's what I've noticed as well is like um, I I see myself reacting differently to things than I would have even a year ago. Like, yeah. like me, when I accidentally like spill something a year ago, I would have beat myself up and been like, oh, you're stupid. Like yeah. you're an idiot. Like what'd you do that for? Like, you're smarter than that. Like you knew that was going to happen kind of thing. Like just really beating myself up where now I'll just laugh and I'll be like, Oh, you're so silly. Like it's totally okay. Like you're an adult now you're allowed to make messes and you can clean them up. It's not a big deal. Like, and meeting myself with that type of grace has been such a huge, huge, huge improvement that I didn't even realize was happening until something like that happened. And I realized that my initial reaction wasn't to shame myself. It was to just laugh it off. Mm-hmm. Which is huge for me. That is huge. huge. And I'll say this: I also relate to that because, um, and I'll, um, I would, uh, I would yell and scream whenever like a, a a traumatic thought entered my brain because I I just wanted to leave and but mm. I was stuck in my own pain. And now when that happens to me, I'm just I just stop and I laugh my ass off <laughs> afterwards and I look in the mirror. I'm just like. <gasps> I was I was just like that hasn't happened in a while. What was that one about? Like, <laughs> like, hey, dude, what are we doing? <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, how are we doing here? <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's a little self check in. I'm just I'm just like so that's some trauma. Writes it down on a list. I'm gonna bring up in therapy. <laughs> Period. Uh, and I'll say that like the therapy though, like if you're if you're if you're writing down your trauma triggers and you're bringing them up, trying to get them heard and. uh and and received by your therapist and their advice and yeah and their advice is not helping then you know yeah, find it's, a new one. Be, you're, you you might you you might feel that stagnation yeah because at the end of the day therapists work for you yep. right ask your therapist what do you see how am i different yeah that's a really I mean, good point lay it you're out allowed to me. have that conversation tell me how mm-hmm. you earned your money and i always say too <laughs> tell me how you Seriously. earned your money what I mean, am i paying you for if your therapist can't point to a whole page of results if you've been seeing them for years then they're that's, taking you for a ride yeah that's, and that's i think an too like when you are looking for a therapist i will say this um i always try to get a consultation with the new therapist yeah um just to see if our goals align with one another and they meet my expectations on what i want a lot of therapists will not do this um but it is okay to ask sometimes they don't for whatever reason um but if they don't then you don't need them anyways and it go would find be badass mm-hmm. some kind of a an database where you ask questions and therapists answer them anonymously and you're anonymous and you pick the person that you you like their responses or you like their theory you like their you know the way they do their practice it's It's like ask reddit but for therapists Um, what actually really like stuck out to me with my therapist which this therapist i've had for uh, almost a year now and i've made the most progress with her um than i have with anybody else sorry other therapists but um, <laughs> sorry, other therapist. What I liked about her is that she requires a consultation to see you. 
like before you meet. And she, I was asking her some questions, but she was asking me more questions about myself and what yeah. she can provide me and what her capabilities as a therapist is that give me in confidence. the consultation that I was like, this is it. Like, yeah. this is who I know I'm going to make really, really great progress with. And I, I have. And I need, I need a therapist that are told me accountable. Exactly. Cause yeah, some, some therapists are very passive because you, like they work for you, right? You're in control at the end of the day of the therapist. And that's what they teach you when becoming a counselor is that you can't be doing more work than your client. So it is okay to advocate for yourself in these sessions. This is an example of a medical doctor, but my primary care doctor um, mm-hmm. filled some prescriptions for me the other day and didn't give me 90 days. She gave me 30. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, what's up? And she said, do your blood work. And we're going to have a consultation. And I said, thank you for holding me accountable. Because I'd asked her to do blood work like a month before. Oh, and she texted smart. me. She texted me back and she said, I'm ornery, but I do it out of love. <laughs> That's really <laughs> sweet. That's awesome. That's really cool. Okay, the last one. What is your greatest coping tactic that helps you when you're struggling? The greatest? This is I, a great I, one to close it out with. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would like to say... We could probably name a couple that we use. But the greatest. But what is the greatest one that helps you no matter what? This is the greatest one. Um, the podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to think that. Um, no. Okay. So. Um, Mine's easy. I know what mine is. It's writing, journaling, poetry. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. You know, you know what that is? Yeah. Lyrics for me. When I'm right. When I, I make music. When I'm writing lyrics, I, mm. I take. I, I, I take something that's been festering inside me, put it outside me, and then that that act is therapeutic. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Bill? Uh, writing has always been, you know, good. I wish that I wrote something down every day because yeah. uh, I, I don't ever regret that. Now, I will go back and read what I've written and say, oh, my God, you're a drama queen. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Facts. Like I do that. the same thing. It'd be like that, though. Like, but um, I'm getting outside. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one too. Damn. Never uh never left the gym and said that was a waste of time. Never I have. taken a walk and said that was a waste of time. <laughs> you know, I used to say I've like never... it triggered at the gym sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I used to say I never went to church and left and said that was a waste of time until I started doing what I do now for a living. And I you know what? If you can't go to church, I get it. There's a lot of religious trauma out there. Totally for sure. get it. Yeah. So I don't say that one anymore. But for me, Connect to your spirituality. Yeah. Whatever that may look like for you. I think, yeah, that's really important yeah. for me too. Is like, that's like writing and spirituality is huge. Um, like grounding myself in, you know, uh, like angel numbers and the fact that the universe always has my back and what's meant for me mm-hmm. will never pass me by. I think those things are always really grounding for me. Yeah. I bet. Um, I think one, another, another coping strategy for me, is escapism i like to read i'll read i'll read, a, I'll read, a, I'll read a, yeah well yeah like escapism can be taken too far but the point <laughs> is, the point is is that um sometimes that moment that you're in is really stressful mm. and you're full of it and just jumping into one of your favorite books mm, can can just bring take you away from that moment mm-hmm. and put you into something a little more exciting I you like know that. what so uh I have upstairs on my bedside table a book 
that uh, I got out of my Mima's attic when I was about eight years mm-hmm. old. And I, Love I loved this book and all these books this, this dude wrote. This thing has fallen apart. I mean, it's yeah. no, no shit. The book is 100 years old. It was written in 1920-something. Wow. But I picked it up the other night and started reading it. And I'm, it took me back to... Bro, I'm the king of the world right now. I'm safe as hell. I'm Let's exactly go. learning something, you know? Yes. Yeah, it was nice. Now, that's, I like that. that's and I epic. like the smell of old books. Mm. Oh, I love a good bookstore. I was texting Same. this girl that I had met on uh, a dating app one time, and my phone totally fucked me on this one, but she liked books. I don't think I've heard this I one. Love Let's go. The smell of old books. And sometimes I buy books by the way they smell. And I read it after I sent it. And I had said, I love the smell of old boobs. And I, <laughs> and I texted her. I literally texted her and I said, yeah, I just read that. Um, I'm, it's cool. We're good. It's fine if you never reply to yeah. my We're all right. <laughs> Carry on. Wait, you said the first part. I love the smell of old boobs. Classic. And then what was the second part that you said? I buy. Uh, I really love cracking up. <laughs> cracking open a good old boob. Yep. <laughs> then I went down that rabbit hole. What the hell does my phone think I'm going to say? And so I started looking at the predictive texting. I would start words, with, put a letter, and see where it was going. I'm like, oh, my God. Dirty mind autocorrect. No kidding, right? No, that's a yeah. really funny autocorrect fail. Oh, my God. Those were so funny. All right. Well, I think that's it for us today in terms of questions. That's all we got. We answered them all. We did. Awesome. We did. And I hope you guys are satisfied with our answers. Yes, I hope so. Yeah. But also remember, take everything we say with a grain of salt because this is just our experience. Yeah. Um, and as, peer, as peers and peer recovery supporters. Yes. And always consult your care team as well. And thank you guys for sending in questions. We really yeah. appreciate it. We're going to do episodes gonna like this going. again. We're going to keep um, it going. Really exciting. I really like doing this kind of stuff. Oh, I do too. Thank, yeah, thank you very much for the questions. Um, if we're not getting you what you need, let us know, please. Yeah. Let us because know. Because we're, we're we learning to do too. better. We want to learn to do the best we can. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys. And we will see you next time. I'm Nathan. I'm Amanda. I'm Bill. We are the In Our Issues crew. And that includes you. And we'll see you in the next one. Peace. Bye. Bro, we did it with two minutes to spare. All right, I got to change clothes. That's a wrap on episode three of In Our Issues. Thank you so much to everyone who sent in questions for us to answer. If you want to send in questions for us to answer in future episodes, be sure to check out the link in the description, which will take you to our website. And there's a tab that says, ask us a question. And hey, if you have a mental health journey that you would like to share on the podcast, there's also a tab that says, want to be a guest? If you're on a mobile device, you'll be able to access these tabs by tapping the three bars in the top right corner. Our next episode is all about ADHD. Both Bill and I are diagnosed with it. I did a lot of research. It's a good one. I'm really excited. Podcast production work by me. Original music composed and produced also by me. I'm Nathan Donnelly, and I'll see you in two weeks. Don't forget you're awesome.